president's management agenda has been out for a year. The Trump administration says it sees progress here and there on the plan's 14 cross-agency priority goals. Margaret Weikert is the acting director of the Office of Personnel Management and deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget. In part one of their interview, Weikert tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco why modernizing the federal workforce is maybe the most difficult PMA challenge. The three areas that we laid out in the original PMA in terms of people focus, there was a focus on performance management, there's a focus on agility and the ability to reskill people and move them around in government, and then there's the hiring challenge that we know is not where we want to be. So a lot of what we've covered this year focuses on the hiring piece, which is sort of the front end of the piece. Increasingly, we're starting to look at the work that people do and skilling people for the work that they do. So you know, a lot of people are expecting reskilling is code for something. Reskilling is not code for anything. It is literally about getting people aligned to the jobs of the future. We've got thousands of gaps in cybersecurity jobs. We have hundreds of gaps in IT jobs in government. And despite, you know, all of the platforms we have to tell people about the jobs that we have, we can't fill those. Not I believe because there is, you know, a huge pay gap. Pay is part of it, but it's actually because of a lot of the other inflexibilities of our system. People can't be sure that they're going to be able to make an impact. They can't be sure that if they come into government and they pay into a retirement system that they'd be able to take that with them if they move on. And so the core structural issues make it difficult to actually attract the people who are more mobile, are more agile, younger, more flexible. And so the trickier things are really how do we take people mid-career and reskill them? I think the cybersecurity pilot we talked about is one great example. We want to look to scale that. You know, training 25 people is nice as a proof of concept, but it's not the scale that we need. We need to do that across a range of skill sets, and we're looking for things like the Gear Center and looking at reward recognition and retention programs, linking those to training and skilling, and then also looking at technology modalities to help people do reskilling where they are, so not classroom-based components. And then probably the trickiest thing is the performance management component. You know, we've looked at some things. Congress didn't want to move forward with those things. I mentioned also yesterday part of why it's taking so long to get retroactive pay enacted is because of the complexity of how we do pay and how we, you know, do rewards and recognition. Simplification and more links to performance management are where we need to go. I need to do that with Congress. That is, you know, a higher degree of difficulty than some of the other things we're doing. And so we're trying to lay the table. A lot of what we're doing around the president's management agenda and all of these events is to set the table so that the narrative starts shifting. It isn't about just what we accomplish right now in this administration. It's really about changing the dialogue so that the whole community starts to see that the system we have today is untenable. I guess I would start with the reskilling piece. You know, we've heard about the Cybersecurity Reskilling Academy, a lot of interest there, which seems to be a good sign. Do you have a sense of how many people you envision need reskilling or 
could be reskilled, or if not, a sense of how many specific people, how many occupations you see would be targeted for reskilling efforts? There's a supply side and a demand side part of the equation. So on the demand side, we're starting with the jobs we can't fill that we have critical needs. So cybersecurity is is high among those jobs, IT more broadly, but law enforcement is another area where we have a great need. There's great demand not only in the federal sector, but across the public sector. You know, we compete with local police forces. We compete with, you know, a range of law enforcement careers. So those are the places on the demand side that we are looking for. On the supply side, we estimate that about 30% of the overall work in government is highly paper-based and very manual. That's work that in order to get the gearing ratio right for the future, we need to automate. And so the people in those roles, we need, number one, to be able to work in a more automated environment because most of that work isn't 30% of the jobs. It's 30% of the work distributed across jobs. And so the goal is actually to, you know, if you automate healthcare records, you need doctors, nurses, you know, techs in a VA hospital to be able to work in an environment that is more automated. You're going to need new jobs to be able to help support that automation. And so that's the nature of probably the more complex reskilling because it's not single job categories. It's going to be very specific to what that journey around technology looks like. And so just to clarify there, you're not necessarily targeting a specific number of people because the work is so complex and divvied up amongst a variety of different people and it would be kind of difficult to come up with an estimate, right? Yeah. I mean, I I could, I could do the math. It probably would get me in trouble. But I, the other thing I mentioned around gearing ratio is the demographic change of our workforce. As baby boomers retire, we are inherently, you know, and it's not just in the public sector, it's in the private sector as well. Inherently, we will have to make the work happen and achieve the mission with fewer people because there will be fewer people. And therefore, you know, there's a demographic element to the urgency around this. So, you know, I don't know what the total number will be because the mission is constantly growing. But, you know, the the goal is only achievable, you know, if we can, you know, make do with the people that we have and achieve the mission and do it in a way that's fiscally, you know, sustainable. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned that this is really setting the table for changes that may or may not happen in this administration, but future ones. Seems as if part of that would be socializing the reskilling piece, talking to federal employees, but perhaps also talking with federal unions about how this might impact their members. Can you tell me a little bit about your plan for communicating this with unions? Have you been communicating it with them and, and what that plan might look like in the future? So a- absolutely. I, I've had some, some recent conversations with a couple of the largest national union leaders. And I think in private, there's some good conversations. I'm actually looking to work with one national union on a specific area that I can't uh, yet talk about, but in a place where it's very obvious that the work is going away because citizens are doing the work online. 
and what used to be an intensely paper-based process is inherently now moving into the electronic space. And the agency that we're talking to is working closely with their union in doing that. In general, my sense is if we can work with the local union and focus on the mission, focus on the, the economic realities and the service quality needs, and look to take care of the people who want to be here and find them roles, that we can find a path forward. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what we're doing here at OPM in the OPM-GSA merger. You know, we're spending time with our union local here at OPM. The same thing is happening at GSA. And that is a whole track in the change that we're driving that, you know, we're just getting started with that now that we release the budget with the information on it. But to me, that is the one area of common ground that is most urgent for us to find together because, frankly, if, if we don't do this, the trend right now is when we can't get the right thing done in government with feds, it gets outsourced. And that has a lot of risks not only to the people but also to the mission and to the service quality issues and I don't think is the right long-term solution. You know, contracting is good for a lot of things, but we can't contract away everything. And that's the place where I think we can find common ground. Since you mentioned the reorganization, I won't go too specific into that. I, I do have a lot of questions about that. But how else are you communicating the possible changes about the OPM GSA merger with the employees here in this building? If you look at the budget, it's still perhaps a little unclear exactly who might go where or if jobs would be lost. So can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. So we've actually been doing a lot of sort of larger group meetings and a lot of walking around with the employees. All change efforts require people to go through stages. So we've actually shared a lot of non-public information with the employees since that time. I am gratified and incredibly pleased that a lot of that information did not leak. And I think it, it goes to show if you treat people in a mature and professional way and you talk about the rationale for change and you tell people, this is what I can tell you now. These are the decisions that have been made. These are the decision timelines that we're expecting for the future. You know, people will, they may be very nervous, but they will give you the benefit of the doubt. And we're doing now is actually walking around unit by unit and talking about specific units. Because as you said, you can't tell from the budget exactly what's going where. What's actually the core of the organization called HRS and the core of the organization that supports IT are the two known entities that are moving. There's some smaller entities that will probably also move on a fairly short timeline. If there's a statutory component in one of those things, like, for example, the, you know, the CIO of a CFO Act agency is likely to be staying with the legal entity OPM, but most of the people on that team are going to move to GSA, that that's something the team knows. The team also knows, and I think I said it, the goal over time is to lower costs, but not lower headcount. 
And, and what that means is our mission is growing. We have a range of contracts. We have a range of other expenses that are not direct people expenses. And we are looking to do more with an overall lower top line. But we do not have an FTE target. And in the short term, we actually have stayed flat to enacted 2019, even though the rest of government was asked to take a 5% cut. And that really reflects the notion that we are investing in doing the transition the right way. In the most recent budget release, I think there was discussion of how the OPM reorganization really fits in strongly with the PMA, and you all see that as central to success. The Personnel Policy Office in OMB, in the White House, you mentioned yesterday three people there. Can you explain how exactly the three people line up with the overall vision of having that office really be the pivotal central place for HR strategic management for a workforce that's very large? I think if you look at it... It's three incremental FTE. Okay. So there's a group called Performance and Personnel Management Mm -hmm. Team that... Peter Warren and Dustin Brown lead. That team and those FTE have helped craft the broader workforce elements of the PMA. It's essentially taking that same team that did the you know, workforce symposium and, and really asked that, and then adding three heads to that, which is a fairly significant growth to that team. It is still the strategy catalyst that would work closely with the people who are in you know, the the legacy OPM and, and the GSA organizations to operationalize that. And again, the OFPP model is is the model. It's it's a small but mighty team that's focused on strategy, on policy, on pushing the needle forward and really asking the fundamental questions about the medium to the long term and, and what do we need from a legislation, from a, a presidential policy standpoint to move that ball forward. So is it enough? I don't know. That's where we're going to start. It could grow over time, but you know, my objective is never to like overpromise and underdeliver. You know, I want to get the proof point in. I want to start showing that that, you know, small but mighty cadre can ask different questions and get answers and make changes start to happen, but they can't do it alone. You mentioned regulatory changes yesterday. I think there's a sense that over the past year, the focus was really on getting done what you know you could get done, Mm -hmm. not necessarily going to Congress for that big ask of, okay, let's overhaul the general schedule. Probably not going to happen tomorrow. What other regulatory changes do you have in mind for this year in particular that you think that you can kind of preview? We started with the hiring that... It's not low-hanging fruit because it's it's still hard, but that's where we started. But the two other areas I'm looking for opportunities are around performance management, and there is a ton of centralization and kind of bureaucracy around how we reward people and how we essentially make it harder for agencies to have discretion in rewarding people. So I sign off on packages where people receive, but if somebody's getting essentially a $10,000 reward over the course of a year, I have to sign off on it. 
I don't know the mission. I don't know the other considerations. But the agencies send that to OPM for approval. That is an area where that almost dissuades agency leaders from really thinking about how do I marshal my resources to reward the very best. That's an, an example of something. There's a range of things in the SES realm where we've had a lot of productive conversations with SEA and other folks in government looking at that. And then I think on the reskilling front, we want to do more and more, more pilots. I want to look at how the Gear Center can help commercialize things. And I want to look at more of this public-private partnership concept because regional entities are having success in some of these reskilling activities. I went to a university in western Massachusetts, Bay Path University, that's bringing people who have not historically been members of the technology workforce, notably women and, and working moms, back into the workforce through programs targeted for evening students, for, for continuing education students on the cyber curriculum, exploring ways that we can partner and learn what works best to get more people into the mission are things I want to focus on. I want to ask you about the reward pay compensation balance that it seems as if you're you're trying to st- strike. I think on one hand, yes, I think many people would say absolutely want more incentives, more training opportunities. Training's often the first thing to go in a budget. On the other hand, we are seeing a lot of, and you suggested this yesterday, we are seeing a lot of interest in that 1.9% retroactive raise. So I wonder if, you know, you you cite the statistics that a majority of federal employees say they're satisfied with their pay, but on the other hand, we do hear kind of this outcry for where is the 1.9%. So I wonder if you can kind of break that down a little bit for me, if, if you have a sense of, okay, well, maybe you know, a marginal bump is important to people. What's interesting is uh, I, I like to look at outcomes versus process. If you ask people, do you want more money? The answer is always yes, which is why the questions on surveys in leading practice are all things considered, are you satisfied with your pay? That's, that's the appropriate way to ask the question because nobody's ever true. you know, you always want more. Well, I always want more. I'll say that. Not everyone. And more than anything, people want what they feel they are entitled to. And even that word entitlement is is a, a pejorative word in some contexts because the American taxpayer is paying for everything we do. And we have a fiscally non-sustainable path. And people are our best asset, but they are also the largest component of our expense base other than direct grants and you know money that goes back out to citizens. And so we can't ignore the fact that fiscally how we spend money on people needs to be super thoughtful. And to solve the simultaneous equation of achieving more with less, hitting the service levels that Americans expect, and doing it in a way that is respectful and fair and merit-based, the only way to thread those those needles is to be more judicious about distribution within the population that you have and outcomes with the population you have. And so to me, the metrics that matter the most are do we retain the best people? 
do we achieve the, the mission outcomes? Do we give people the service levels? Are we modernizing our government? Are we, you know, spending more resources on the squeaky wheels than we are on the absolute stars? That's, to me, the outcry because it's precisely the people who are the stars who are least likely to complain. You know, they're just in the lab doing the work or they're, you know, in the spreadsheet balancing the books or they're, you know, they're doing the mission. They're not the one who's complaining. That is kind of the quiet shame of our, you know, pay for not performance system. Margaret Weikert is acting director of the Office of Personnel Management and deputy director for management at OMB. Speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. In the next hour in part two of Nicole's interview, Weikert discusses the OPM reorganization and her vision for finding new ways to compensate the federal workforce. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.